that there would be a time in which he would come and people would scoff. They would scoff prior to his coming and they would say, where is the promise of his coming? For since the fathers fell asleep, all things continue as they were from the beginning of the creation. And while I understand that we should always be looking for the coming of the Lord. And while I also understand that I thought he would come a long, long time ago and he didn't. It does assure me, just by logic alone, that we are nearer to his coming than we were before. And I want to sing the chorus, we're nearing the shore. How many of you enjoy troubles and trials? Third chapter... I've already made reference to scriptures, so, and all I want to do is read one or two scriptures, and then we will allow you to be seated, and we'll go into all of the scriptures here, uh, down through verse 13. 2 Peter 3, verse 1, this second epistle, beloved, I now write unto you, in both which I stir up your pure minds by way of remembrance, that ye may be mindful of the words which were spoken before by the holy prophets and of the commandment of us, the apostles of our Lord and Savior. Now, he talks about the uh, situation of the world when the flood came. And also, he talks about the situation of the world before the coming of the Lord, the second coming of the Lord. And then, in verse 8, he said, But beloved, be not ignorant of this one thing, that one day is with the Lord as a thousand years, and a thousand years as one day. Now, he sums it up in his analogy of time by saying God or the Lord is not slack concerning his promise as some men count slackness but is long suffering to usward now notice what he has he uses the word usward now when he uses the word usward he's talking about himself also not just the world of sinners out there but when he uses the word us, he includes himself. Usward, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. You may be seated. I want to preach tonight on the subject, the promptness of God. The promptness of God. Now, I know that God is a God that appears to be long-suffering and forgetful of everything. Now, the only thing God ever forgets is what you personally repent of. Now, if you have committed sin and you have asked God to forgive you and you've genuinely you're sincere with God, You've genuinely repented. God forgets that sin. He said he would in his word. 
And we know that he does. And if for some reason sin comes by and somehow you fall for that and you become guilty before God again, you'll certainly not be guilty of anything he's forgotten because he never, never, never brings it up again. See? Man does not have the ability to forget. God does. And one of the attributes of God is the fact that he remembers everything, but also one of his attributes, he forgets certain things. Now, how does he remember everything? And yet he forgets certain things. Now, when your sins are forgiven, they are sent beforehand to be judged. They are then cast into hell. Now, I personally think that hell or the lake of fire is the place, the final place. It is the habitat, the eternal habitat for all sin and sinners. And the reason why that God forgets things that are cast into hell is because that once they enter into hell, there is no extraction. They cannot be removed. They, are, they have already been judged. So it's all fine. It's all over with. Now, there will be a time in which it appears in the Bible that out of hell will come forth demons. And those demons will walk upon the face of the earth in great locust form. And they will sting, and the sting of their torment will last for five years, five months, pardon me. Now you may say, well then, they come out of hell. Well, that's prior to their day of judgment, see. Just like the soul of man will come back out of hell, inhabit the body, and man will, both body and soul, stand before God at the white throne judgment. And then... When his judgment comes, once judgment has been pronounced, and once that has been cast into the lake of fire, there is no way that it can be brought back up. And so God forgets those things that he cannot, by virtue of his own choice, do anything about. Now... Well, that seems to be very awesome. It is a very beautiful thing. Because I have some things in my life, in my past, that I occasionally remember. I'm glad God doesn't remember them. Aren't you glad of that? Made some real mistakes. I'm glad that God does not remember those mistakes. Praise God. Now, God is a prompt God, however. In other words, he does take care of things on time. He's, he's diligent and he is prompt. He is always busy and is right on time. He's never late. Now, the reason why that we preach promptness to Christians is because that there are certain things that need to be taken care of here on the earth. I don't like to see people arrive late for services. See, I think people who come habitually late for service, that it's indicative of a lack of interest 
in what's really going on. They come out of responsibility. Well, I've got to get to church. When? Well, whenever we get there. Sounds like they're excited, doesn't it? If you were a Milwaukee Brewer fan or a Packer fan, you'd be well, you'd, you'd want to be there at the kickoff or at the first pitch of the ball. See, not right. What if uh, what if uh, let's say uh, the quarterback of the Green Bay Packers showed up late for a game? It would be hard to convince Bart Starr that this man was really interested in football. Would it? What if the pitcher of the of the Milwaukee Brewers? What if he showed up late for a game two or three times in a row? Do you think that you could convince the the coaching staff of the Brewers that that man was interested in baseball? No, he comes because he knows he gets a check, and he knows if he doesn't come, he won't get a check. And some of us come to church just because we want eternal life. It's not really because we're interested, you know, people who are always late. You know why you can't get some people in a prayer room? Should I tell this? Now, if we got all of the people that are here in the prayer rooms every time, we'd probably have to get some more prayer rooms. How do you think of that? Because about half of us are men. The other half are ladies. And I know that, that that ladies' prayer room downstairs would not hold this many people over here. Would it? See? And some people are always dragging their feet. You may say, well, Brother Grant, that's not a commandment found in the Bible that you go to the prayer room. Well, I understand that, but if you understand the structure of the church, the purpose of the ministry is to direct the church in such a fashion that people will be brought nearer to the Lord. And uh, I just personally believe, at least it was that way when I was growing up in the church, that when the preacher said, let's go pray, we just went and prayed. And I never even consider it to be optional. If he said 6.30, I thought church started at 6.30. See? Am I stepping on some toes tonight? You know I am because half of you were not in the prayer room. Now you know because if you'd have been in there, it would have been too crowded for me to get in there. We want to go real slow and easy when we start stepping on toes. One, it hurts more. The longer you stay on something, the longer it hurts. Isn't that something? How it works? So we'll uh, let you think about it. God is so diligent. You know, every now and then, I see some people who come on Sunday morning at 11.15 for church. I've even seen people come at 11.30. One of the most embarrassing moments of my entire life when the church was, I walked right in church right after I was saved. And as soon as I walked in, Brother Fuller, who was our pastor, 
said, I'd like for everybody to stand. You know what he did? He dismissed. I did not know they were letting out early that day. I didn't get there right at dismissal time. But I didn't know that they were letting out early. So here's Sister Grant and I came late. One of the few times we've been late to services. And would you believe he dismissed as soon as I walked in? I saw somebody the other day come to church at a quarter to twelve. Now, we always let out around twelve o'clock. I suppose fifteen minutes is considered to be enough for some people. Now, the thing about it is, though, I have never seen people who had their act together, so to speak. I'm talking about who's spiritual, and they won souls, and they were happy and everything. They just drug their feet and came late and all this. It's always the late arrivers that you're having to counsel with and give instruction and encourage and this type thing, you know. Now, what is happening here in the passage of Scripture that I read is that, and I quoted part of it, is that some people, prior to the coming of the Lord, they begin to look at God and they think that God is not a God that's really concerned about what's going on the, on the earth. And that He is not really prompt in His business. Now, God is trying to get the world to be prompt. Trying to get the world to pray. Trying to get the world to do. But they're saying, oh, he's wanting us to do our business and he's not taking care of his own. Now, I have pastored people that I, there's no way you could get them to be prompt. There is absolutely no way. There's some people that you could almost, you could, you could actually tie a log chain. To their legs and jerk them out of bed an hour early and you still couldn't get them to come to church on time. They're going to be late. Always late. Always late to everything. There are certain people that are late only to church and they're always uh, very prompt and diligent in their responsibilities to their job and such. I'd personally rather just be an overall habit of mine and I'd be late to everything than I would just to be late to church. Because that's kind of indicative of this. That I am really a prompt individual when I want to be. But the things I'm not so interested in, then, you know, we just don't care too much about that. I said I was going to stay on this for a while, didn't I? <clears throat> now... <clears throat> If you will look at verse 3, the Bible tells us in 2 Peter 3, 3, Knowing this first, that there shall come in the last days. Do we live in the last days? All right. Now what's going to happen in the last days? Scoffers are going to come. Now what is the problem with scoffers? They walk after their own lusts. So we have a world... Of scoffers. And they're doing what? They're walking after their own lust. That simply means that they want to have their own way. Now don't anybody tell me, the scoffers say, that it is important to make all of those service. Don't anybody tell me it's important to go to the prayer room. Don't anybody tell me. If you really thought that Jesus Christ was coming soon, you'd crowd these prayer rooms so tight that we'd have to bust out the walls. 
And you know why you don't come down there? Because you don't think he's coming. Hear me? Oh, but I'm looking for his coming. Oh, now listen. I know a lot of you that don't visit and every now and then something almost scares the daylights out of you and you go down there. Why is it that you go then? When all the while you're saying, I know it's coming soon, you don't really believe it. See, there's something about the flesh and when we are desensitized because of worldly conditions and such that we, we know it's going to happen, but we really don't believe it. See? We know it, but we don't know it. We believe it, but we don't believe it, see? Praise God. And so the problem with scoffers, they walk after their own lust. Now here's what they say. Where is the promise of His coming? I had the opportunity to talk to an individual who was a preacher. That uh, And, of course, he didn't believe our message of the soon coming of the Lord. Well, really, he said he believed. But he, he had made a thorough study of some civilizations and also some of the situations of the world that, re, that are record, recorded in National Geographic. And he said, you know that, why? He said, we have evidence, conclusive evidence, that there have always been people that thought that Jesus was coming in their day. Now, I believe he was right. I believe the apostles thought that Jesus was coming in their day. They really looked for him. They thought he was going to come back. And I think one of the greatest impetus uh, that keeps us going, a great prime mover, is this thought of he's coming soon. The apostles thought he was going to come in their day. So they stayed prepared. We think it's coming today, so we want to stay prepared. You may say, oh, that's just a psychological thing to keep you prepared. Well, regardless of what it is, that's better than not believing it's coming and better than not accepting and then having to come and you not be ready. And there is a chance that if you're not ready tonight, you will not be ready when Jesus comes back. But this is what he said. You know, I've heard this business about coming to the Lord all my life. And he says, I don't really know if Jesus is going to come within the next thousand years. Now, I made a very similar statement to that. that I'm not for sure when he's going to come. But, but the attitude that he had was, ha, that's what they've been saying for a long time. Who believes it? Now, can you feature a preacher that would say that? Well, we got into quite a little wrangle about that. I said, wait a minute. And I, and I recorded this. He said, he said, you know, I figured you'd come up with something like that. Okay. Now, what the, what the people were saying that, that had disbelief in their heart, they're saying, why, everything has been like they've been since creation. Now, verse 5 says, for this they willingly are ignorant of, that by the word of God the heavens were of old, and the earth standing out of the water and in the water whereby the world that then was being overflowed with water perished. In other words, he goes back to the days of Noah, and he said there was a day in which the world prior to the flood didn't believe that there would be a flood. Noah was out there building on this gigantic big old boat. And what were the people doing? 
They were going on about their everyday activities as if nothing was going to take place. Noah said, it's going to rain. It's going to rain. It's going to rain. And they didn't believe it, did they? No, they didn't believe it. They just went on. And they just went on about their business. But God is calling our attention. There did come a time in which the flood waters came upon the planet Earth. Now, he goes on to say, all right, but the heavens and the earth which are now by the same word are kept in store. It rained because God declared it was going to rain. And what he's saying is the very same God that spoke the word that said it's going to rain and cause it to rain is the same God that holds the heavens and the earth together today. And he has also declared that destruction will come to the planet Earth again. Now James put it this way. He said, you believe the witness of man? He said, the witness of God is greater. Why is it that we'll listen to people and their word? You can read anything in the papers you want to read. And, and regardless of whether it's true or not, most people believe it. You can even go to a chronic liar, somebody that you know that lies all the time, and he can tell you the biggest line you've ever heard of, and you have a tendency to believe that. In, in the day in which I worked on a public job in Longview, Texas, we had a man there who lied about everything. I knew that he lied about everything. And yet he'd come over every day and he would tell me something and I'd go home, I'd repeat it to my wife. And my wife said, but, but hon, you don't believe that, do you? I said, well, <laughs> he told me that. But he, does he ever tell you the truth? Well, no, not really. And he was a guy, he lied about everything. See, I mean, he, lied, he just lied about everything. He was telling me one day, he said, uh, went squirrel hunting yesterday. And I said, oh, he said, I killed two. So he walked straight from the table where I was working over. And, and I heard him tell somebody that he said, uh, went squirrel hunting yesterday. And he said, you kill him? Got my limb at 10. I thought, no, he just told me two. And, and, and so I walked over and I said, you know, you just told me that you killed Two squirrels, and you told him ten. He said, well, and he was a real sharp, fast thinker. He said, well, the truth of the matter is, he said, I only shot two of them between the eyes, and that's really all I ever count. He said, I just leave the others lay. Well, and you know, and, and so help me, he'd come and tell me things, and I would believe it. But God has never lied. Never lied. And we have a tendency not to believe his word. All right. So the, the heavens and the earth are kept in store reserved unto fire against the day of judgment and perdition of ungodly men. Now, notice what he says. But, beloved, be not ignorant of this one thing, that one day is with the Lord as a thousand years, and a thousand years is one day. God is not slack concerning His promises. You see, God is on a different time schedule than us. And I'm really amazed at how many different lifestyles you can find right here on the earth. I go up to camp and I see people just strolling through town, walking in low gear, looking in the stores and such. 
You know, you go to the shopping malls here and it's fight, 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 run here, run there, run here, run there. People walking up down the sidewalks in Shano like they don't have anything to do but walk. You know? You don't see them walking here like that. And it's hard for me to understand this. I go down to Texas to my folks' home and everybody down there is kind of laid back, you know. You understand what I'm saying? Now, most of you haven't been down there. Brother O'Neill, he's been in service with some of the, some of the guys. And, and, and so what will happen is that they'll, they'll begin to talk early in the morning about going to town in the afternoon. My dad will say, you know, Francis, that's my mother's name, uh, I'm going to have to go into the bank today. She'll say, well, when are you going to go? He says, oh, I don't know. There's no need to be in a hurry. He said, after a while sometime. And so after a while, he'll bring it up. Well, I guess I better get to the bank. I think he's going to go to the bank. He said, John, you want to go to the bank with me? And I said, well, I might as well. Now, see, I'm on vacation. I'm supposed to be relaxing. So I go in and I shave and I get ready and everything. I come out. He said, uh, you going someplace? I said, to the bank. <laughs> now, I'm serious with you. Brother Jim's been down in Tennessee. I don't know if it's like that down there. But... Uh, Dad says, oh yeah, I guess we ought to get to the bank. And he'll, he'll sit there and he'll sit there and he'll sit there. And uh, so he said, well, I guess we better mosey on down to the bank, son. And he'll get out in the car and uh, he'll say, uh, I tell you what, I guess I better water the chickens before I go. So he get out and he'll water the chickens. He'll get in the car and we'll be driving down the road, and all of a sudden he'll, he'll pull in somebody's driveway. So I've been wanting to stop by here and see them for a long time. So, okay, so we stop. <clears throat> After a while, we drive up to the bank, and he looks at his watch, and he says, Wow, they sure keep bankers' hours here. They're closed already. <laughs> no, I'm, I'm serious with you. So we go back home. He said, Well, there'll be another day. If they're not, he said, Who cares about the banks anyway? <laughs> That's the way my dad is. That's the way he lives. Now, he's on a different time schedule than that. And he's he's called me up before, and he can't understand that some people are really busy. Now, I said that to inform you that it's hard for us sometimes to visualize different societies in different areas because of the way they treat and conduct their activities because of time. They, they seem to have no concept, none at all. Now, when we use this same logic in our relationship with God, you know one of the greatest problems that people have with God is in the area of God answering prayer. You pray a prayer right now. You think that God doesn't answer prayer unless He just comes down right then. I mean, right before your eyes. And just, here it is. Now, you see, what Peter's doing, Peter's saying, Hey, wait a minute. You know, one day with God is a thousand years with man. In other words, God's on a different time schedule than you are. And while you think that he's not going to come back, and you think that he's not diligent, he's not busy, not doing his work, and you think he's not prompt. Now you're mistaken, because you see, God is not a God that's confined only to the planet Earth. 365 and a fourth days 
constitutes one year, one revolution around the sun. And each 24-hour period, as as the earth evolves around the sun, it also is spinning. And 24 hours of time will lapse in one revolution of the earth on its axis. And that's called a day. As it evolves around, it wobbles back and forth like a top that is spun out on the floor that's about to run down. And the reason why we have our seasons is because it does wobble back and forth. Now when God made the planet earth, we're not really for sure what kind of a time cycle that he had the earth on. We know that God in the first day he separated from light and he separated light from darkness and and the earth must have had some type of light. The Bible says the evening and the morning were the first day, Genesis 1. The evening and the morning were the second day, the evening and the morning were the third day. Then something uniquely different happened on the fourth day. On the fourth day, the Bible tells us that God created two great lights and placed them in the heavens. The Bible tells us that the lesser light was for night and the greater light was for day. And, of course, the lights that were created then, they were to rule over day and night and to divide the light from the darkness. God saw that it was good. He also made the stars. The Bible tells us that these were to be for signs, for seasons, for days and years. Now the first day of creation, the second day and the third day of creation, as we presently measure duration, that's what time is. Time is no more than a way to measure duration. And so the first, the second, and the third day, we're not really for sure how long they would be as we presently measure duration. Now they could be of less time than 24 hours. They could even be a thousand years long. We don't know. Now I personally believe that they were different. Those three days were different from the fourth day. Otherwise, there would have not been a change on the fourth day. But God, after three days of creation, He hung the sun and the moon and the earth in its present orbit. And so as a result, since then, we have measured duration by the revolutions of the earth on its axis And one complete revolution around the planet Earth, giving us one calendar year. Now the reason why that God does not measure duration as we measure duration, because the planet Earth is just one small mud ball in all of God's creation. And God is not confined only to the planet Earth. While God does walk here and he visited this earth and he visited this earth in the form of a man, God is omnipresent. He is everywhere. 
Now, in our present solar system, we have, what, nine planets? You may be able to name those. I was able to name them, but not place them all in their proper place. So I wrote them down. Mercury. Number two is Venus. That's out from the sun. And then the third one is the planet Earth. The Earth away from the sun on the other side of us, not Earth, but planet, is Mars. Then Jupiter, Saturn, Uranus, Neptune, and Pluto. Now, those are the nine planets in our present solar system. The sun is one star in the Milky Way or the galaxy of stars that our sun is associated with. And the Milky Way is so great that the closest star to the planet Earth outside of our solar system is 4.27 light years away. That simply means that light traveling at the speed of 186,000 feet per second, it takes it 4.27 years just for the light to reach the planet Earth. Now, this is a big solar system. Now, if you went outside of the planet Earth to another planet, one year on another planet and one day would be measured different. While you would use the sun to measure it, 24 hours on another planet would not be a day at all. Now, if we were to take a trip to Saturn, which is one of the larger planets, it's not the largest, but it is a larger one, it takes 29 and a half years, as we measure duration, for Saturn to go around the sun one time. That simply means that if Brother Grant lived on Saturn, I would at this time, at 42, I would only be 1.448 years old. In other words, I would be almost one and a half. But, at the same time, a day and a night on Saturn, one complete day and night is only ten and a half hours as we measure here on the planet Earth. So that simply means that I would be only a year and a half, but I would have lived more than two times as many days and nights as I have lived here. Now, what Peter is really trying to say in all of this is that it is impossible for you, totally impossible for you, to measure time the way that God measures time. There are close to 100 billion stars in our present Milky Way or galaxy. And if the earth traveled at its present rate around our galaxy, it would take 200 million years to make one revolution around our present Milky Way. So when God looks down 
from wherever the holy city is located, whether it be in our galaxy or outside of our galaxy, he sees the planet Earth, he can relate to it because he visited the Earth in the form of a man. But please understand this one thing, that God does not measure duration the way that you and the way that I measure duration. And this is the reason why that some people become so impatient, even to the point of losing their soul. If you knew that Jesus Christ was coming tonight, or if you knew that he was coming tomorrow, you would make sure that your heart was right with him. But simply because the days pass and hours pass and you don't see that he's come and because that you are locked in to this measurable 24-hour time cycle and this 365 and a fourth days in a year, it's easy for us to lose our perspective of eternity and time as God sees it. And so as a result, even though we know that there was a flood, it happened a long time ago, but to God, maybe not so long. See? The flood occurred when? The flood occurred way back in the early chapters of the Old Testament. And if we were to go back to that particular time, and I'd like for you to go back there with me to the uh, ninth chapter of the book of Genesis. If you go back there with me, we want to just take a look at something that happened back then. Now, The flood occurred about, uh, what, about 24 B.C. or somewhere along there. Adam and Eve were placed in the Garden of Eden about 4,000 B.C., so about 1,600 years passed from the time that God made the heavens and the earth to the time that that the flood occurred. Now... To God, you see, there's just been a few days passed, according to Peter. But to us, not just a few days, but thousands, literally thousands of years. See? Now, when God caused the flood to come upon the face of the earth, He destroyed all of the living creatures... And as far as mankind is concerned, he destroyed all of them but eight souls. Noah, his wife, his three sons, and their wives. Now, after the flood, God put a bow in the cloud. And it shall be a token of a covenant between me and the earth. This is Genesis 9, verse 13. The Lord has said that I will not again destroy the earth with water. Now God has been true to that word. We've had floods this year in Mississippi. We've had floods out 
in uh, Utah. We've had floods down in Arizona. We've had floods uh, in Louisiana and in California. But we have not had a worldwide flood. And we will not have a worldwide flood. Because God hung the rainbow in the cloud. And he said, every time you see the rainbow, it is a covenant between me and the earth that I will not again destroy the earth by water. Now, in all the thousands of years that have passed since then, it is not recorded in history where a flood has come. And it will never be recorded in history that a flood will come. But God does have this to say. He says that judgment is coming to the face of the earth. Now, I promise that I will not flood the earth. But this I do promise. Verse 10 of 2 Peter 3. But the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night. Why is he coming as a thief in the night? Because he is not geared to time as we're geared to time. Because after a period of time, you and I seem to forget about the promises of the Lord. And so as a result, when he does come back, it will be like a thief in the night. Now notice what he says. In which the heavens shall pass away with a great noise, and the elements shall melt with fervent heat that the earth also and the works that are therein shall be burned up. The next time the planet earth is purged, it will be purged with fire. We have had a great fear in recent years concerning nuclear power. Some of the atomic bombs that have been made Measuring is so great in their megatons, million tons of TNT. We've had a great fear that if one of those huge bombs are exploded, that uh, it just might be that it will start a chain reaction in which the whole world could burn up. Because you see, everything... Everything that is here in the earth has electricity in it. Now, electricity is something you cannot see. But it is a moving force. There are atoms in this glass of water that are moving. They're evolving. Man is so smart, he's never seen any of them, but he knows the qualities of them. Now, I can't figure all that out, but there are people on the earth that are smarter than I am that have said it to be true. They can tell you all about it. Now, you know in school, and some of you who have gone to college and you've taken math and such, Brother uh, Jim Larson has dealt with a lot of this. But uh, it appears that what is happening here is that all of a sudden, God just allows... A chain reaction, an explosion to take place similar to what is taking place on the sun right now. In which everything begins to melt with fervent heat. 
Now, he said it's going to come. Men say, when? Yeah, it's going to come. Yeah. Yeah, it's going to come. Now, I know some of you toughies out there, you'd say, who cares? But I would say if you got word within a few hours that Russia was going to invade us, you'd look for a bomb shelter. A big bomb that will destroy high-rise apartments and such. There's no human muscle that's a match to it. You know that. But you see, he said it's going to come. Now, verse 11 says, Seeing then that all these things shall be dissolved, what manner of persons ought ye to be in all holy conversation and godliness? In other words, what he's saying, You believe the word of God? You say that the Word of God is real? Peter is saying, if you really believe it, and you really know that it's going to happen, then what manner of person ought you to be? You ought to be holy in conversation and godliness. I spoke this morning concerning the holiness standard in such of our ladies, and I'm so appreciative of our Pentecostal ladies, especially in this time of year. We have got so many women that want to pull off their clothes and walk down the sidewalks and parade around half nude in front of people. It is really pathetic. See? You remember the judge that made the statement here in Madison and they recalled him? They got a petition and they recalled him. Now, I am not here to pass judgment upon what he said as much as I am here to stand up very boldly and say that part of what he said I definitely agree with. And the thing about it is, there ain't going to be no recall on Pastor Grant. Okay? I think it is pathetic that our society wants to go around nude. When Adam and Eve sinned, they made aprons or they made clothes of fig leaves and they clothed themselves to hide their nakedness. God says that still ain't good enough and he slaughtered an animal and clothed them with skins. Did he not? Praise God. And I do appreciate so very much the holiness standard of our Pentecostal ladies and men. And I use the word men. Praise God. Now that's what he's saying. If you believe the Lord's going to come back, he said it's going to change your lifestyle. If it doesn't change your lifestyle, then what category do you fit in? You're like the scoffers that are saying, ha ha, since our fathers fell asleep, all things continue as they were from the beginning. He said he's not going to come back. Don't you listen to these people. They're traveling after their own lust. That's what he says they're doing. He says they're doing that. Now verse 12 says, Looking for and hastening, hasting rather, unto the coming of the day of God, wherein the heavens being on fire shall be dissolved, and the elements shall melt with fervent heat. Nevertheless, we according to his promise, look for, what? A new heaven. Oh, the church is going to be raptured before the fire comes. Praise God. 
we're looking for the rapture. Praise God. I say we're looking for the rapture. Praise God. Oh, hallelujah. Now, Luke, the 21st chapter, Luke deals with this. And, of course, he talks about the, the signs of the rapture and the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. And, and he just does such a beautiful job in, in, in this. And then, of course, uh, if you look at uh, his writings, as he begins to, to talk about uh, uh, the destruction of Jerusalem and it's already taken place and, and a number of things that happens. If you look at verse, uh, what is it, verse 19... He says, but in your patience possesses ye your souls. In other words, what he's saying is that don't, now don't be impatient, you know. In your patience possesses ye your souls. And I think this is an area where a lot of us need help. And I include myself when I say us. Because real often, you know, I want to see things done in such a big hurry. You know, we've been praying for a building, a new building. And we've been praying that we can put up that building. We want a school and everything. And... And we're saying, God, when are you going to do it? Come on, Lord. we got to have it. And I say, my, we had a land contract on that land out there four and a half years ago. Well, you know the reason why I feel that way? And you know the reason why God has done what he's done? Because you see, I have become impatient because I'm geared to 24 hours and I'm geared to 365 and a fourth days and I can't get out of this. See? But God's not geared to my time. He's not just a God of the planet Earth. He is the God of the entire universe. Now, he did have this to say. He said, now, don't, don't be mistaken. I am mindful of everything that's happening. Have you ever felt so insignificant when you started considering the vastness of God? I mean, sometimes you feel that way. You think, oh, God, you know, you're so great and I'm just so little and, 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 and everything. But if you will notice verse 18, he's talking about when you stand before magistrates and kings and such. He said, you shall be hated of all men for my name's sake, but there shall not an hair of your head perish. Isn't that something? While God is not confined to the planet earth. And while I'm just about ready to kick the stars down because I'm so impatient. And I think God doesn't understand us here. My, you know, we just got a packed church and a full parking lot. And oh God, you got to do something. You got to do something. You got to do something. Now Lord, now come on, come on. Now you've got to do something. And you know, it's easy for us to say, I wonder if God really hears us. You know what the Bible says? He hears you even before you pray. <clears throat> now it's difficult for me to understand that before you verbalize something that God hears it. See? You see, your vocal cords do what? 
They send out vibrations. They don't send out sound. Sound is made in your brain. You see, if a tree fell out in a forest someplace and there was nobody there, there would be no sound. Because it takes a, an ear and a brain to make a sound. Now that doesn't sound too complicated, but it's hard to understand. You just kind of have to accept it that way. Sound is made inside of your brain. And so your vocal cords send out vibrations. And it appears that God can hear without those vibrations. So, before it ever leaves the brain to go into your vocal cords and you send it out, how long would it take? Listen, how long would it take vibrations, sound, to reach God and His throne? He doesn't need that, friend. He can hear without it. And so the prophet says, before you prayed, and praying is verbalizing. He wants you to verbalize it. But before you pray, he hears it. How come he didn't answer? If God answered in a split second. As he measures duration. We'd probably already be impatient. You see that's what. That's the logic that Peter is using. In his epistle. You know that, that we're. We're involved in something greater than just. The human race and the planet earth. But he's saying that that prophecy is sure and it's going to come to pass and and you're not going to be able to you're not going to be able to stop it. Now, nevertheless, we according to his promise look for new heavens and a new earth wherein dwelleth righteousness. Wherefore, beloved, seeing that you look for such things, be diligent. Now, diligence is what? What do we mean when we say be diligent? It simply means that you be busy, industrious. Oh, I'll tell you one thing. There's a certain class of people I don't like to be around. And the class of people I really don't like to be around is the lazy class. God hates laziness. If you don't believe it, you read the book of Proverbs. Wherefore, beloved, seeing that ye look for such things, be busy, that ye may be found of him in peace without spot and blameless. And account that the long-suffering of God is salvation, even as our beloved brother Paul, also according to the wisdom given to him, hath written unto you. Praise God. Now what did Paul say about the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ? He spoke of the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ in two books. 1 Thessalonians 4 and 1 Corinthians 15. He said the Lord is coming in a moment in the twinkling of an eye. Praise God. At the last trumpet. 
He said, we're going to rise up to meet him in the air. He speaks to those at Thessalonica, and this is what he said. The Lord himself shall ascend from heaven with a shout. And with the voice of the archangel, the dead in Christ is going to rise. And we that are alive and remain shall be caught up to meet him in the air. Praise God. Oh, listen. There is a bright hope in that thought that Jesus Christ is coming back after his people. Praise God. And I want to show you something that I think is so great about the holy city. Praise God. If you'll turn with me there to Revelation 21. And I was reading this today and I got so excited about it. I looked up into heaven. I don't know where it is. But I want to go there. I took my binoculars out last night and I looked at the moon. It's really amazing. You can see the craters and things on the moon. So bright. They say they want to settle on the moon. You can have the moon, friend. (laughs) Praise God. You can have the moon. It is such a great, great place. (laughs) Revelation 21, And I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth were passed away, and there was no more sea. And I, John, saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down from God out of heaven, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. Now you notice what happens on the earth. When God remakes the earth, there's no more sea. The sea was created to divide the nations. And nations were divided in the early chapters of the book of Genesis for a reason. We have different nationalities on the face of the earth. Friend, that was God's idea. That was not man's idea. See? God knew that the whole earth could not be populated without boundaries because people couldn't get along. But when he makes it over, it's going to be different. No more sea. And I, John, saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down from God, out of heaven, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. We had a wedding yesterday. Charlie was standing down here, and Julie started walking down the aisle. And he was just aghast. He looked at Julie like that. And, of course, Sister Grant was on the front, and he looked at Sister Grant and said, Isn't she beautiful? That's something. That's what he's saying. God's going to dress up that city and it's going to look just as appealing as a new bride adorned for her groom. And I heard a great voice out of heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men and he shall dwell with them and they shall be his people and God himself shall be with them and be their God and God shall do what? Praise God. Have you ever had heartache to come? You know what it's all about. I've had people in my office this week that have come in with tears in their eyes. I wanted to do something so badly. I really did. I just wanted to help them. I I didn't have the words of wisdom. I didn't know what to say. I couldn't tell them words that would dry their tears. I've had two or three people leave my office this week weeping and crying. I wanted to just go somehow and wash their tears away. But I couldn't do it. But the Bible says God's going to do that. 
There shall be no more death, neither sorrow, nor crying, neither shall there be any more pain, for the former things are passed away. And he that sat upon the, set, uh, upon the throne said, Behold, I make all things new. Now turn with me to the 22nd verse. All the other verses are dealing with the holy city and how great it is and such. And it is indeed a great place. Maybe I should just make reference to verse 16. And the city lieth four square, and the length is as large as a breadth. And he measured the city with a reed, 12,000 furlongs. And a furlong is how much? 582 feet. And they're 5,280 feet in a mile. And that simply means then that the holy city is exactly 1,200 miles long, 1,200 miles wide, and 1,200 miles high. And it's all decked out in gold, jasper, pearls. Can you believe a city that size? Now you think about it. If you were to take the Ten largest cities in the world and put them together. You wouldn't have anything like that. And you'd never be able to build one 1,200 miles high. And the streets are going to be gold. Praise God. Here comes Brother O'Neill. He's sweeping the sidewalk. Got Got all the gold dust. Just sweeping it all up. Now let me show you something about the city though. Verse 22. And I saw no temple therein. For the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are the temple of it. And the city had no need of the sun. Nor the moon. To shine for it. For the glory of God did lighten it. And the Lamb is the light thereof. Did you know in the holy city... The sun's never going to go down. And the reason why that you cannot measure eternity is because that when God puts us there and there is no more moon and there is no more sun, there is no way to measure duration. How long have I been here? I don't know. Probably the way they do it on Saturn, it's been a million years. Probably the way they do it down on the planet Earth, the way it was back then, it's probably been 29 million years. But the sun has never gone down. Isn't that going to be beautiful? And this is the reason why that the Apostle Paul said what he did in 1 Corinthians 13. He said, for I see through a glass darkly. But when he that is perfect shall come, I shall know even as I am known. 
He said, I don't really know how we shall be, but this we know, we shall be like Him. Praise God. Because when we pass through this obscure veil of time, and we walk out into eternity, we're going to see God like He sees. And we're going to know like He knows. Saints, it's going to be a great day. Hallelujah, hallelujah. I said it's going to be a great day. You see, the Sabbath in the Old Testament was a day of rest. It was a type of two great things. The indwelling of the Holy Ghost that gives us constant rest. But it was also a type of eternity. You see, you don't set your alarm clock on the Sabbath. And you don't have to worry about sweating and toiling on the Sabbath. It was against the law. So, as a result, when we go into eternity, it's the Sabbath. It's our time of rest. Don't worry about anything today, the Lord's saying. (laughs) It's a time of rest. Praise God. We're going to be in the presence of God forever and 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 ever 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 and ever. Oh, praise God. I want to go there. I say I want to go there. It's going to be daylight forever and forever. Praise God. I want you to stand right now. The promise of God. He said it's going to happen. Pastor Grant believed it's going to happen. He said there'd be a flood. There was a flood. He said the very elements of this earth are going to melt with fervent heat. They will do it. I believe it. He says there's going to be a holy city. And I'm looking forward to going there. Praise God. Oh, hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. Now, Hear me this very night. For I, your Lord, doth speak to you at this time. I will come back after my church. And all of you who bear my name, I long in my heart to have you near me. And the place that I have prepared for you is indeed beautiful, it is wonderful. I know you will love it and enjoy it. And I will indeed bring you to be with me just as my word 
has spoken. And indeed, in the place of rest, there will be no need of the sun. But there will be a source of light. For the Lamb of God shall be the light of the city. But I would also like to speak this one warning to the wayward one whose heart is not set upon the holy city. There is also a place called outer darkness. My word declares that men love darkness better than light because their deeds are evil. And I have also declared that I will cast the ungodly into outer darkness where there's weeping and wailing and gnashing of teeth. There will be no sun nor moon there, but neither will there be a light. I am your God, and I am the judge of all the earth. And I have declared in my word that I'm coming soon. Why have I declared it? Because I do not want anyone to be lost. I want to take you to the holy city. But I must warn you that if you follow after Satan and sin, you will be cast into outer darkness, another place in which duration cannot be measured. It will be forever and forever and forever. Would you give your heart to me tonight in sincerity? Would you accept my gift of eternal life? I am the God that loves you. Come unto me, and I will give you rest. You know, God is beckoning with some soul right now. I will close my Bible because I have said all that I need to say. But somebody needs to come right now. Here's a place, an altar of repentance. Where you can come. Why don't you step out right now. And come and kneel your knees before God. Oh, He cares cares for you. He loves you. People are making their way to pray. Would you step out right now and come and pray with these? Folks, it's not a game. It's for real. Come on right now, would you? Oh, hallelujah. From all over the building, people are coming. Why don't you join and come and pray? Oh, hallelujah. Would you come? There's still room. All down around the front here, there's a place to pray. Would you come on and give your heart to God? He's coming soon. Oh.
yes, he's coming soon. He's coming soon with joy. We welcome him. 